Welcome to Urban Voices, the podcast dedicated to the women and men shaping every day the present and future of our cities. In each episode, you will discover the project, the story, the good and bad experiences of one of these inspiring human beings. Hello everyone, I'm Lou Garcia and today I'm delighted to receive as my first guest, Paula Munier. Welcome Paula and thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Thank you Lou, I'm really glad to be here. So Paula, you studied the engineering of urban vegetable spaces at AgroParisTech, you worked at Vinci and in March 2018 you co-founded with Florence Marin-Poilot, Herbalia, a consulting startup on biodiversity and urban agriculture. So my first question is, why do you want to bring biodiversity and agriculture within cities? So I grew up in the best country where I could enjoy nature really close to my home. I could go surfing on the ocean on weekend, hiking on mountains. And when I came to live in Paris, a much bigger city than what I experienced before, it was quite a, a shock. I really feel the, the need of being close to nature. And throughout the years, I realized that all the challenges we need to address were linked. Climate change, biodiversity loss, the lack of social cohesion. But all those changes we need to address begin from where we live, where we are. And how can we protect the environment if we don't even know what it looks like and we live in big concrete city? That's why I started to work to help creating more resilient cities, greener cities, and truly inclusive cities thanks to nature-based solutions. Paola, you mentioned the, the shock of being surrounded by concrete and to be far from the nature. And what would be the benefits for urban people to have nature close to them? Can you explain? Yeah, so the first one I see is that as we are in quarantine in our apartments, we can enjoy and listen to bird songs. And beyond that is the fact that seeing nature and being in nature makes us happy. A lot of studies shown that seeing nature and being in nature has a positive impact on our lifestyle and on our health also. But putting back nature in the city provides a lot of benefits for the city itself. One of them is that nature helps us to cooler the city. The way we build the city has created a difference of temperature between 2 to 10 degrees between the city and its surroundings. It's called the urban heat island. And the vegetation helps us to cooler temperature because a plant absorb some of the sun energy and creates shadow and because it also creates steam of water it helps cooler the city and we, we really really need to cooler the city as climate change will get creating more and more heat waves in the city yeah you're you're making a really good point right here because We've seen past years and I would say decades that we have, and in France also, uh, we faced huge heat waves. I think re I can remember that it was 42 degrees in Paris. And I think that many people suffered from it. Totally. And the thing that was really different with the heat wave in Paris uh, in 2019 is that it happened during the school time period. 
That's why Paris created a program which called Cours d'école Oasis to create cooler cool thanks to nature. And I was also wondering, you, I think you also aim to tackle a key urban challenge, which is to build a safe and sustainable local food system also. Because when you're, you're not only bringing nature to cities, but you're also bringing agriculture. So what do you want to create by doing this? Yes, totally. We were trying to, to promote and to create a new urban farming uh, places in the city. We want to do that because urban farming helps us to, to create some links between the city itself and the traditional agriculture. When you go to a community garden, for example, you see people from completely different fields, uh, different jobs, for example, different nationalities sometimes planting and gardening together and it really helps to to create a place where people can talk and people can get together but urban farming is also uh, a key for all the the cities in development i mean if you take uh, african cities for example they are relying on urban farming for their food security for example In Madagascar, 90% of the fresh food of Antananarivo is provided by urban farming. So in those cities and in all the cities that haven't been created yet, it is how are we going to preserve the farmers and the farmlands that are already here to make a smart way of building cities. That's that's a really good point, and uh, I was also wondering because you mentioned uh, a city which is in Africa, but in France, for instance, do we need, and in other occidental cities, do we need to to implement urban agriculture so that we can ensure a food security, or do do we still uh, want to base our food system on the traditional agriculture? You can make a gap between urban farming and the traditional farming. We need both. So there is a lot of different uh, relationships. First of all, you, you don't have to, to see urban agriculture and the traditional agriculture as um, something different. Urban agriculture, in its wide definition, also takes into account the traditional agriculture surrounding the city that provides with vegetables and fruit, the city, for example. Urban agriculture itself won't ever provide the city with, with enough food for everyone. That's why we need to make a, a new communication between the city and its surrounding and the urban dwellers and the farmers. Yeah, thank you very much. I think you, you really pointed out the, the complementary aspect of both that people can also... Uh, opposed sometime and you also mentioned huge distances and what you want to do is also to reduce transportation to reduce um, the emissions uh, caused by the transportation of goods and that's really something that it's on my opinion it's really really important thank you very much and i was also wondering um, what are the barriers and what are the difficulties that cities are facing to put biodiversity and urban agriculture in the cities? Um, the first thing is that 
urban biodiversity is actually a young field. Uh, scientists started to work on it maybe 20, 20 years ago. So we still have some work to do to better understand urban biodiversity in order to really understand how to preserve it and then how to promote it. For that, we also need to create more tools to really have a good way to, to integrate it in a urban project and to predict the impact of a project on urban biodiversity. That's why AgroBariTech, for example, created a tool which is called Biodistrict that can predict the impact of a construction on urban biodiversity. So it is a tool that we are using uh, uh, and promoting in my work. So it's the, the first thing, really create more tools and more way to understand the, the nature itself. But it's also a change of mentalities and a change of the way we work. Cities, they started to change their way of taking care of their green spaces years ago. They went for, from a really intensive way of taking care of nature to a less destructive way. Yes, definitely. I think um, today things are moving fast. But I was wondering, what are the barriers that you're still facing when you want to implement your ideas? From my point of view, um, the main subject is really a change of the way we work. For example, if you work on a, on a, on a project where there is a, a, a landscape architect uh, who has um, the habit of planting every time the same exotic plants, for example, and you want to put uh, some local plants because local vegetation can provide food for local uh, wildlife. It's really how do you get this landscape architect to change its way of uh, working and to implement those new things. Um, other actors can tell you that putting back some nature is only glitter, for example. And we really believe that it's not only glitter because if you take one project and another one and another one and and the city itself is promoting biodiversity and the local association everybody together, we will make an impact. Our point of view is not just to plant vegetation in the city, but really to bring back biodiversity and to recreate urban ecosystem where wildlife can develop. You, you mentioned that it was a, a behavior change that was needed, but actually, is there no challenge with the available space in cities or the need for more money? to lead such projects? Maybe you invest at first when you build your uh, your construction, but after that you create a resilient system that will need less uh, less maintenance or you you will save some money. Uh, the, the the green spaces in a construction project is of, often a really, really small part of the project. So the lack of space is, is not a subject. The subject is more how do you preserve the existing in spaces like farmlands and forests and not build on it, then uh, putting bad nature on the building. Yeah, I think there is a huge challenge of artificialization. And I also love the way you said it was a, like a small cost for big impacts, right? Because that's a, such a small part of projects, yeah. but actually <laughs> it has huge impacts. I have a a more personal question for you, Paula, is that I was recently looking at the OECD webinar, Can Cities Be Feminist? 
and they mentioned that on average, women face greater barriers in their entrepreneur adventure. Is it your case? Um, what is your own experience of being a woman, a young woman, and being entrepreneur? Actually, I, I can't say if I face greater barriers as an entrepreneur and a woman. As I am a woman, I can compare with being a man. But what I can say is that I would go to, to meetings and I would always, always be the youngest person in, in the room. And sometimes I would feel and see the, the surprise uh, in the eyes of the other person around me. And it depends on who you are talking to. But yes, when you're facing a builders, for example, they are all men, uh, most of them. And yes, yeah, so being young sometimes uh, was an issue for me. But as my subject is a niche, and as we said, sometimes really far from the economy of the project, of Uh, the way it, the way it is going to be built. The main subject for me was not the fact that I was young or that I was a woman, but really how to make the other actors around me understand the importance of my subject to make them integrated on the project. Yeah. So the main challenge was to be young in the first place, because when you, you come into a room and you're the only young person, That's, that's a challenge to be taken seriously. But I think that I'm completely with you. And I, I think that's something that is really important. And I think if you know your, uh, your field and you know your subject, actually, they will definitely listen to you. And what the current crisis is showing us is also that people, the leaders and decision makers, they also need young people to challenge them and to show them what needs to be done next. Yes, totally. And... I have the chance also to, as we said it before, to have a chapstick that um, touches everybody. And the other question I have is, what lessons do you draw from your own experience and what advice would you offer to other women who wish to embark in this entrepreneurial adventure? Um, I would say that one of the keys, the confidence in, your, in yourself and above all, the confidence in the cause and the matter you're willing to address. Another thing is to never be afraid to ask for help to as the people you, to as the people around you, the people you know, and to connect with new communities that can support you in your journey. Yeah, I think also that one barrier uh, women have is their lack of self-confidence. And I think that we, what we really need to do is to support each other. Uh, as, and as you mentioned, uh, to not being afraid of asking for some help. And my next question is quite linked to that because you're part of the 2019 promotion of the C40 Cities uh, mentoring program. And I was wondering how did this city network help you uh, in your journey? Yeah, so I had the, the chance to be a Women of for Climate C40 mentoring program which really, really helped me. So the first thing is that I had a mentor, which is, and I still have, I have a mentor, which is Dominique Alba, the director of the APUR, Agence Parisienne d'Urbanie. And Dominique helped me with a book that I wrote with Fanny Provent of AgroParisTech. It is a book called Urban Agriculture, How to Design a Rooftop. And she really helped me uh, going through the process and, sometimes uh, rewrite the old book. I'm really, really grateful to Dominique Alba. The other thing with the C40 is that 
we had special trainings uh, to help us to mature our project. They were really helpful. And the last thing, but <laughs> last but not least, is that we connect with a huge community. There is women for climate all around the world in um, the United States, in Canada, in Africa, in Asia. And we had some time uh, to connect and to exchange online together. And it was wonderful to see all those other women working on your field or sustainable city area. It was really great. I'm so glad to hear that because I think the key word you, you used is community. Uh, community is to make sure that you will learn from each other and actually um, help each other, as you, as you mentioned earlier. That's so great. Um, and finally, what do you think this uh, health crisis is revealing about agriculture and urban agriculture? So, first thing is thank you for <laughs> for that question because um, we heard lastly uh, a voice of persons who were against nature in the city and were starting to to say that it's nature in the city that created the the virus. I'm not an epidemiologist, so I won't talk about the origin of the virus, but we have to try to not mix all the, the subjects. If there is this huge health crisis right now, it's not because there was nature in the city, it's because there was a, a huge and a massive destruction of biodiversity, mainly due to the destruction of the inhabitants. What we want to do by bringing back nature in the city is really welcome nature, preserve the wildlife and promote it. It's not a good sign if there is a deer um, in the city. If they come so close to us, it's because they do not have enough inhabitants in a forest to survive, to eat, to to reproduce. And the second thing, with this health crisis, we see a lot more people that are cooking. We also see a huge gratitude for the farmers that are keeping on working on the field and are keeping on feeding us. We see new links between those producers and the consumers. Thanks to social networks, for example, there are some farmers that are selling their production on Instagram or thanks to existing structures. I hope that this health crisis will help us to keep that gratitude due to our farmers and everybody in the, in the alimentation sector. And I also hope it will help us to pay better the farmers and to create new vocations because we need people in the field uh, to keep on producing. This health crisis has also shown a gap between the farmers who are um, really accustomed to the, the, the social networks, to the new ways of uh, selling their produce directly to the consumers and those who doesn't know. And we have to be careful to integrate other kind of farmers and to integrate those this new wealth of communication directly to the consumer uh, in the the farmer training. Yeah, totally. Um, thank you so much, Paula. I think you're right. We need to be grateful to those who have always been and still are maintaining our food system. And thank you so much, Paula, for sharing your experience, your knowledge, and your story. Thank you. Thank you, Lou.